for all of us. Uh, first off, today we are actually going to be diving into the story of Gideon. Now, some of you may know Gideon. Gideon uh, was, was this character in the Bible who rallied together uh, 300 men. And, and these 300, and, and was able to defeat an army of thousands upon thousands of, of the enemies. And, uh, but we're not actually looking at that part of the story today. We're going to be jumping into how did Gideon get to that point? How did, how did he become such a leader? How did he become the hero that we know him as today? Well, before we jump into this, I know we've prayed a lot this morning, but I just want to open once again, uh, just in a quick word of prayer. So would you join me and bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you and worship you freely, God. And we just pray that as you open our hearts and our ears today, Lord, that you would speak to us in real ways. And um, yeah, God, that you would speak through me. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Now, before we actually read the story of Gideon, uh, let me give you some context here. Okay, so after, after we see Moses uh, lead the Israelites out of uh, e- Egypt, out of slavery, we have Joshua, his, his second-hand man, rise to power, and we see Joshua is promised by God victory in the promised land. So Joshua leads his people into victory, into the promised land, into what is Israel. And, and then Joshua dies, and, and rather than appointing another leader, uh, God would occasionally raise up men and women who were called judges uh, to lead segments of the Israelites against their enemies. This is, this is where we get the name of the book, Judges. Um, the very fact that they had to face off against these enemies was largely due to their moving away from, from God. Uh, Nevertheless, God was always gracious and, and would provide them with the necessary leadership that they needed to, to get back on track. Um, but even then, these leaders were less than they should have been. Uh, uh, the period of the judges is actually known as one of the worst times in Israel's history. Uh, uh, the last verse of the book says it all when it says, uh, In those days Israel had no king. Each man did what he considered to be right. This book records seven times, or, or, or seven cycles, as, as we like to call it, uh, that spanned almost 300 years, these cycles of sin, that would start with the Israelites deciding that they wanted to be independent from God. And, and God would in turn respond with, hey, that's all right, I'm just going to take my hands out of the situation. You guys got this, if you, if you think you do. <laughs> and then these Israelites would be taken into to bondage and into slavery by, by these neighboring tribes. And, and, and it would always end in misery and in despair for the Israelites. And, and then God, in his graciousness and in his mercy, would, would raise up a judge who would call the people back to him. And, and the people would repent and they would turn back and, and, and they would experience deliverance from their enemies. But then just when life got easier, they would turn their backs on God again. You see, in their years of peace and in, in prosperity, the people would once again wander from God's will. So for 300 years, the Israelites bounced back and forth, back and forth, uh, between being faithful and trusting in God to turning away from Him. In each cycle, Israel seems to have sunk lower and lower than they had sunk before. 
And, and just a side note here, uh, this pattern seems to oddly resemble my own life. I, I know for me, I, I'll go from seasons of, hey, yeah, God making great strides, look at this, I'm working, I'm doing all this cool jazz stuff, I don't know. And then, and then th- the next season of my life, I'm jumping into just living in sin and uh, just disconnectedness from God. But there's hope for me, and there's hope for people like me as well, in the sense that the theme of the book of Judges isn't the fact that Israel keeps messing up again and again. The theme of Judges is that every time Israel messes up, the Lord calls someone to bring them back to him. It it is in this kind of setting uh, that the Gideon story takes place. Uh, Gideon was one of these local judges raised up by God to deliver a group of Israelites from an enemy known as the Midianites. Now, now the Midianites were a people who would wait until the people of Israel had, had planted their seeds and it was almost harvest, and they would come down and they would steal uh, everything, their herds, their crops. They would destroy everything that they didn't take with them. This was an evil, sadistic kind of people who, who would leave nothing behind for the Israelites. They would, they, they would kill you, but then they would also kill your family and anyone who you've talked to and, and, and everyone you know and love. That's the kind of people the Israelites were up against. And, and so this went on for seven years. And so the people cried out to God to deliver them. And, and he called someone to lead his people. And, and that was a man named Gideon. Now, now let's jump into the story. Uh, we'll be reading out of Judges chapter 6 today, verses 11 through to 27. Uh, if, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we have Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, throw up your hand, and Usher would love to put a Bible in your hand. Uh, but yeah, turn with me to Judges 6, and uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV today, the, the extra spiritual version, as I, like to, as I like to call it. No, no, no. But okay, let's, let's begin. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till your return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. 
And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. (laughs) When you think of a hero, you're usually inclined to think of, uh, you know, great strength, maybe in intellect and smarts. Maybe you think of, of uh, beauty and charisma or, or, or just a lot of money. Maybe they're just filthy rich, you know? Uh, uh, when I think of a hero, I know I think of the classics. You know, I think Superman, Batman, Iron Man, all those guys. That, that's who I think of when I think of hero. And we see due to the success of, you know, the Marvel movies and we would like to say the DC movies, we, we see that there is a desire in our culture for heroes like this. But, but our hero today had none of these traits. Uh, he, he started out as this fearful, fearful farmer, but was transformed into a warrior in the most unlikely fashion. He experienced a personal transformation. Now, Gideon started out like most other Israelites. In fact, Gideon probably started out a little worse than most other Israelites. Yeah, He says in verse 15 and 16, Not only is my clan the weakest in Manasseh, but I am the weakest in the entirety of my family. You see that he is frustrated, but that he he also really believes these things about himself, probably because they're true. (laughs) You know, in in our family, uh, my brother is clearly the weakest, Noah. He's the youngest, and... (laughs) You just look at him and you're, wow. He, no, no, that's, that's not true at all. He, he actually, this week, won his Fraser Valley Championships in rugby. So kudos to you. Know, but yeah, there you go. But so he's, he's a beast of a man. Just, but honestly, he, body size, it, it, it doesn't vary in, in our family. You know, like Noah, myself, my dad, we're all big men. Prosperous, as the preacher last week liked to say, you know? But... But then, you know, people will look at our family and they see, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. And then they're like, what's going on here with, with my, this, this little woman who's just, that came, what? There, people get confused. And, and I remember I would, I would, oh, I would show people pictures of my parents while I was overseas. And the two things that would confuse them the most was how short my mother was and how white my dad was. Those were like <laughs> the big things that people were just not expecting at all. But, but it's true, people look at her and they see my mom and they say, oh, she is clearly the weakest of the family. Oh, boy, are they wrong. Oh, my goodness. 
could tell you right now where my money would be in a fight between any members of her. It would be on my mom. Because, and, and you know what she's told me ever since I was very young? She said, she Caleb, it's the smallest chili that has the greatest heat. And if, if, any, if any proverb has come to be true, it's that one. But I was, I was considering making that the title of, of, my, of the, the sermon today. But, but, but back to the story. Gideon here, he was set up to live a life of frustration. He, he was bitter with God for not coming through for him. And in addition to this bitterness, Gideon felt like he had nothing to offer. He, he didn't have the skills or the power or the position to help improve things. Uh, he tells the Lord's angel in verse 15, uh, but Lord, how can I deliver Israel? He's saying, just look, you, you've got the wrong guy. You need a mighty warrior to do this. But, but God has other plans. And all of a sudden, within the same chapter of Judges, in verse 27, we see Gideon cleaning up the idolatry in Israel. We see him standing up for his faith. And, and in turn, what we see is, is these signs and this fruit of leadership coming out. But the question is, what happened to verse 15 Gideon that, that turned him into verse 27 Gideon? Well, something interesting happens. You know, if you're anything like me, you're expecting like a Rocky Balboa-esque training sequence, running up the steps of Philadelphia and, you know, punching a bag of meat. I don't know what what he does. But anyways, or or maybe you're expecting something out of left field, you know, like we're talking about superheroes, bitten by a radioactive spider, jumping into a vat of chemicals. But none of these things happen. What happens is that Gideon has a real encounter with the living God. And life for Gideon after that changes and turns around 180 degrees. Now, now what about this encounter is so special? Uh, well, firstly, God seeks Gideon out. Uh, we see this angel of the Lord comes to Gideon at the wine press while he's threshing wheat. And these are the little details that, you know, you're reading your Bible and you just go right over. Oh, okay, Comes to me, Gideon, that's what matters. But, we, but threshing wheat in a wine press, there seems to be a little disconnect there. And when you look at it, a wine press was just a, a, a hole in the ground with, with walls around it. And on a, you know, on a Friday evening, you bring some buds over, you throw some grapes in the wine press, and you just stamp around and do a little dance or whatever, right? Extract the juice and make wine. That's what you do in a wine press. On, on the other hand... Uh, uh, where you'd thresh wheat would be on a, on a high place, like a hill or something, and, and, and you'd, you'd beat it and do whatever you need to do, and, and the shaft would, would blow away. But we see Gideon in this story. Gideon is, is threshing wheat in the wine press. He, he's, he's in the equivalent of a cold, dark basement threshing his wheat, and, and, and we see the reason why. It's because he, he's scared. And he's living out of fear of the Midianites. And, and he's, he, he's hiding. And, and maybe, maybe this is you today. May, uh, I want you to ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Are, are you afraid of, of your future, maybe? I, I graduated high school last year. I spent this year away. I don't know. What, what, am, I, what am I doing with my life? I, I don't know. Maybe you're asking yourself the big questions. Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Is there a God? 
Maybe you have, uh, uh, you have to provide for your family. And that itself is just such a daunting task, an insurmountable uh, barrier of what it seems. So my question for you is, who are your Midianites? What's got you hiding? Now, now next, I want you to think about what does God call Gideon? What is it that God says about Gideon? And, and we read in verse 12, God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Uh, uh, some texts say a mighty warrior. We just talked about Gideon is the weakest in his family, who was already the weakest in a, a part of a tribe that was weak. Gideon is not a man who you'd associate with might. But, but we see that, that God comes to him and says, hey, you're a mighty, mighty warrior. And how does, how, does God, how does God respond when Gideon says, no, I'm not? God says, go in this might and save Israel. Do not, I send you. Go in this might. What might is he talking about? Gideon's just said, no, I'm not strong. No, I'm weak. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm a weak man. And, and God says, go in this might and save Israel. Do not, I send you. Because it doesn't matter who we think we are, or what we have done, what, what our past has, what matters is what the creator of the universe is calling us. For me, I so often get boxed into this thinking of, of, Kate, here are my limitations, God. You just work within this, and we'll all be good, and we'll all be happy. Thank you very much. But, but this isn't a God that's calling Gideon of, of where he is. This is a God calling Gideon to who he can be. And it's God calling us to something bigger. Not our culture, not our friends, not our family, not even ourselves. We find that God is time and time again the perfect source for our identity. The the perfect blueprint. Because he sees not who we are, but who he can make us to be. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is that of Esther. You know, this strong uh, woman in the Old Testament who just becomes the queen, right? She just becomes queen. And, and it's, it's awesome to see. Uh, it's, it's a fun story. But, but during her time as being queen, the Jews are being persecuted. And she's in this position, and, and her uncle Mordecai comes up to her, and, and he kind of challenges her to do something about it. And, and he says this line that's in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14, that is just one of the most legendary lines in the Old Testament, if you ask me. And it's this, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, I, I love this verse, and I love it. So I, I've actually thought about, and I know this might be a little scandalous, but I've thought about maybe getting a tattoo of this verse on my arm. You know, that's been a thought in my mind. And I told my mom about this one day. I said, hey, mom, I'm thinking about this. And my mom is adamantly against this idea. She just couldn't be more against it. And so what she said is, she's, Caleb, wait until you get a wife. And then when you get a wife, you know, it'll be good. You know, then, then it'll be okay. But what she's really saying by this is, wait until you find someone who can beat some sense into you. And Change your stubborn mind. My, well, yeah, at least that's how I interpreted it. Anyways. <laughs> but but this, this, it, it, this really is 
uh, her uncle uh, challenging her in the same way that God is challenging Gideon in this story and, and, and challenging us today. Uh, uh, God has a bigger purpose. You see, with Esther, she was meant to be this queen. She was built up to be uh, beautiful and, and, and a perfect queen. But God says, no, I've put you here to deliver your people. And she does. She delivers her people. God placed her there not to be this beautiful queen, but to be his tool to deliver the Israelites. And you should know that this problem of, of, of thinking that you're not good enough of, uh, isn't unique to Gideon. We see Moses, we see Jeremiah, some of the Old Testament big leaguers, major leaguers if you want to call them that. Uh, and one of the first things they say uh, when, when God calls them is the classic, how can I, Lord? <laughs> they're saying, you clearly have the wrong guy here. You have a million other people. I am not the one you want. And this is such a common theme in scriptures. We even see Jesus calling his disciples. And we see him calling the, the tax collectors and the zealots and the rebels and the, the, the fishermen. And he calls them and says, I have this bigger picture for you. I have this greater purpose. And and, and look at us now. We have this, this beautiful view of them as the pioneers of the early church, as the miracle workers, and, and, and what would eventually become the martyrs that would lay such serious foundation of, of, of how we do community today. This is so important to seeing this as, as a part of, of the scriptures, of God calling us even when we don't think we're enough. Well, God calls Gideon mighty warrior, and, and what is it that Gideon does in response? Well, well Gideon goes on this where is God rant. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had, I've had those, you know, but, but he, two weeks ago we had John Morrison speaking on, on pain and suffering and, and talking about how that's, those are some of the most difficult things for Christians today to grapple with. And that's exactly what Gideon is grappling with here. Gideon's saying, where is God in my pain? Where is God in my suffering? Uh, and, and we see Gideon lash out this way, but, but how does God respond? Is, is he concerned about Gideon's well-being? Is he intimidated? Uh, it, 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 does he rebuke or blast Gideon? No. G- Gideon can say whatever. What matters is the fact that God will still send him. And later on in the story, we see Gideon continues to test God time and time again, asking him to confirm everything. God says this. He says, yeah, sure, God, just, just you know, make this fleece wet and I'll be good. That'll be my confirmation for this. You know, just out of this world things. But we have a God who is real with us, and he will fit in to who he wants you to be. You know, John Morrison talked about Thomas and how, and how we often call him Doubting Thomas because he said, uh, I need to see with my own eyes what, what, what's happened here about Jesus' resurrection. But Jesus gives it to him. Jesus comes and says, look at these holes in my hands. Thomas, you can see. And, and Thomas does, and Thomas goes to believe and takes the gospel to, to India. The, the man is, is a man. But God 
We have a God who, who we can bring all of our doubt and all of our fear and all of our, our, our pain to him because he can take it. And people, this is, this is the God that I love. This is the God who loves me no matter what. And he needs me in those places. If I'm going to be honest with you guys, last year I was finishing up my grade 12 year of school and I went through a really rough patch. And, and, and unlike some other situations I've been in, this was, this was a time that was entirely brought on by myself. I was the one to blame. I was the one at fault. Uh, my life seemed to be in shambles and I was where the buck stopped. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm a PK, I'm a pastor's kid. And so sometimes it makes it look like my life's all together, you know? Sometimes it looks like, oh, yeah, this is, this is you know, what I am. And, and a lot of that isn't me faking. That's just my personality. That's just who I am. That's, I just always am putting, you know, my best self forward or whatever. Um, but this was a season of real disconnectedness and me living in, in sin, uh, and, and there were so many struggles. I, I was elected valedictorian of my class. And that, what should be a joyous event, what should be a, a great title, was, was so meddled and shadowed, overshadowed by all the stuff that was going on in the background. But I love a God who doesn't count the times I mess up. A, a God who finds me when I'm scared and when I'm alone and when I'm hiding in a wine press. And he calls me mighty warrior. This is the God that I love. And so, so we have these encounters with God, but, but what is the follow-up to an encounter with God? What is, the thing, what is the thing that happens after? Like, what do we do with ourselves? And what we find in this story, and what we ha- find time and time again in, in scriptures, is that uh, what, what happens is that God challenges us. The, the Lord here tells Gideon that he needs to go down and tear down the altars and, and the ashra poles, and, 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 and we see that Gideon is being called to stand up for his faith. You know, Timothy Keller talks about the importance of Judges more so today than ever before because the book of Judges is set during a time where uh, culture and society has, has turned away from God and, and that the, it's these stories of God calling people to stand up for his faith. And, and, and so that's why this, this book is so important now. And maybe this is exactly what God's calling you to do. Maybe at school... Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's you and a couple friends, you know, uh, hanging out on a Friday night and, and you standing up and saying, this is what I believe. This is, this is the God that I serve. Or, or maybe God's calling you, uh, challenging you in other ways. Maybe it's personal integrity. Maybe, maybe you massage the truth sometimes. Or, or you're different people. Uh, in different places, whether it's work or home or school or even church. Maybe God is calling you to love on that coworker that's just so hard to love. Or, 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 or that roommate who just makes you want to pull your hair out. 
or, or, or that family member who just drives you up the wall. Maybe God is calling you into an act of service for him. Uh, you, you know, while I was in England, I, I, worked at, I, I volunteered at a church part-time a couple, couple days a week. And one Sunday evening, this, this guy named Sahid comes running up to me and he says, Caleb, 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 I want to get baptized. And I go, Sahid, that's great. Sahid had recently immigrated from Oman. And, and I said, Sahid, that's fantastic. Let me just connect you with the pastor here, Pastor Malcolm. And, and we go up and we say, I say Pastor Malcolm, Sahid wants to get baptized. And the pastor says, Sahid, that's great. Uh, I would love to just sit down and talk with you for like 30 minutes about why you want to get baptized. And Sahid, without missing a beat, says, well, Pastor Malcolm, the reason I want to get baptized it's because Jesus says we should get baptized. And Pastor Malcolm, it, it, tears welling up in his eyes, says, See, he, that is the best reason to want to get baptized. And maybe you think, how is God's kingdom, how is this big picture going to be uh, fulfilled or going to be accepted by, by me being dunked in a tank of water? Or, or what's the point in me stacking chairs at the end of a service? Well, what does it do in, in the grand scheme of the kingdom? But you know why we do these things? It's because Jesus calls us to do these things. It's because uh, we are followers of Christ. And, 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 and that means that, that we're in it for the long haul. We do these things because he asks it of us. And, 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 and I think you look at, at, we're talking about a hero, we're talking about a mighty warrior. I don't think we could talk about this without mentioning David. David is this incredible character. <laughs> you know, he, he's, all those traits we mentioned about heroes, he's got all of them. He's got the looks, he's got the charisma, he's got the strength and, and, and the wisdom. And, and on top of it all, he's crazy rich. He's, he's who you want to be. You look in the Bible, and, and I know for me, it's like, King David, that's, that's the guy. But where did he start? He, he, was a, he was a shepherd. A shepherd of a flock that wasn't his in a family who forgot about him. And yet he's faithful with this flock, and he talks about fending off bears and lions. Just, just him. Bears and lions. I used to, when I was a kid, that was the craziest thing. This man fought a bear and a lion. I've seen a couple black bears, and I don't think I could take them. And it's like, wow, those things are small compared to Old Testament bears. But anyways, these are, these are bears and, and, and lions that he's, he's taking. And God sees that and is like, you were faithful with your flock then. I'm going to give you the kingdom of Israel, and you're going to be faithful with that too. And so my question is, what are your bears and lions? What are the things that God is challenging you, calling you into to fulfill today? So, so we see that what begins as a story seeped in weakness and in fear, God just turns it around. And we see that Gideon continues to take steps and steps of faith and, and that he continues uh, to trust God and that as he does this, the Lord imbues him with boldness. He, he, he continues to give Gideon the strength he needs. And, and Gideon learns something that I still need reminding, and it's that God can do what Gideon can't. 
You know, this, if, if I had had my way plans-wise, I would not be standing in front of you today. I would be in backcountry England. I would be in the heart of a little castle called Cape and Ray, and I'd be learning about the Bible, going out with friends, eating fish and chips, all the classic British stuff. But, but unfortunately, last November, I received news that myself and, and, and others, around 60 students, uh, were being forced to leave the country because of uh, uh, the UK government cracking down on, on, on faith-based schools. And, and this was brutal news for me. Uh, you have to understand that my four years of high school, I had been planning, both financially and just generally speaking, planning for my big gap year, year away. You know, this was going to be it. I get out of the Tri-Cities, can spread my wings, can learn who I am, live on my own. Um, it, it, it was, this was what I had been looking forward to. And after two months of being there, I hear that it's all crashing down in just a moment. And, 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 and the air, the, the environment of the school became one of, of, of sadness and, and despair. We were, we were so choked that these people who I had just started becoming friends with, thinking, hey, I'm spending a year with you guys, was turning into a couple months. But what one of the teachers said to me, and, and, and the only thing I really had to know and keep hold of, was that I had a God who was for me. And, 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 that, and you flash forward two months, and I'm in the heart of Sweden, a country I wouldn't have expected visiting in a million years, meeting incredible people, uh, seeing Jesus work in amazing ways, having the craziest conversations, and, and, and just living life in ways that I couldn't even imagine. You see, in order to trust God... There are only two things you need to know. And it's just that God is good. That he is good. And that he is for you. And that he wants the best for you. Sometimes I think, wow, Lord, what you're asking me seems really, really hard. It can't be out of my best interest. I'm not going to do it. But you know how I know that God is for you? It's because he sent his one son, his, his only son, to die on a cross for me and for you. And, and that is now what we can hold on to as our identity. At, at this time, I'm going to call the, the worship team forward. Um, but I just want you guys to know that we have a God who is on our side. And if our God is for us, then who can stand against us? You know, we, we sing these songs, but this is the truth. This is what we can hold on to. And so join with me as, as we close in prayer. And I know we've prayed a lot, but that's, that's why we're here, folks. We're, we're here to come together, <laughs> to come before God as, as one body and just say, hey, Lord, use me. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just, Father, we just love you. And we come before you today, Lord, and we just say that whatever we've heard, Lord, whatever has stirred something in us, Lord, that you would continue to stir it. 
God, that you would continue your hand, uh, that you would move your hand through our lives, God, and that we would see you in real ways and, and start to have encounters with you here, Lord, and that we could bring it back to Hillside and that we could call out our brothers and sisters and say, hey, I see this in you, and that we would be a, a, a community that encourages one another, Lord. We love you, and we ask all these things in the most holy name of Jesus. Amen.